0: Here's a man who is a brilliant expert on UConn trivia. He is Tom Breen, the director of news and editorial communications at the University of Connecticut. And UConn has an alumni magazine called UConn Magazine that comes out about every month. And he has a really entertaining piece every month, and it's called Tom's Trivia. Tom Breen joins me today. He's been at UConn since 2012. Mr. Trivia Man, I have really enjoyed trying, often failing, to take your trivia questions. Where do you get all this trivia from? And I have a feeling I'm not the first one to ask that question.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, some of it I have to give credit to a guy named Mark Roy who worked in my office our um, former
0: news director here, and my former roommate, who seems
1: to know everything. Yeah, and Mark, Mark is uh, he's, he's the real unofficial historian of UConn, so he left a huge legacy in uh, his articles for the advance and things like that, but um, so I'll, I'll draw on Mark's knowledge uh, sometimes, and sometimes I just like to walk around campus and see things I don't know, I, you know, I'll see a sign and I'll say where did that come from and I start asking questions and eventually find an interesting answer.
0: So where did the idea come from to have Tom's trivia become a regular factor in the Yukon magazine.
1: Uh, my office, we have an annual holiday party, and uh, my boss uh, wanted to have a trivia contest and give out prizes. And so he, he tasked me with coming up with the trivia, and people liked it so much that so, magazine editor Lisa Stipak said, why don't we do that for the alumni magazine? People love that kind of stuff. So, so the
0: timing for this show is pretty good, because you've got an edition coming out pretty soon, People People's Mailboxes. It'll be hitting
1: uh, mailboxes next week, June 15th.
0: Can you share with us some of the trivia that you'll be asking the people in that edition?
1: I've got some. Uh, yeah, I've got some trivia that uh, maybe uh, people may or may not know the answers to. There's some some interesting ones here. Here's here's one uh, that I think is pretty interesting. It's a building most people know. There's one building on campus that did not have a name for 17 years after it was built because faculty members wanted it named for an emeritus professor, and the Board of Trustees policy at the time was that no building could be named after a living person.
0: So what building is it? Uh, By the way, this is multiple choice. It's
1: multiple choice. (laughs) So uh, choice A, the Busfield Psychology Building, choice B, Merlin Bishop Center, choice C, Castleman Engineering Building, or choice D, the Gentry Building.
0: Having no idea, I'm going to guess B, the Merlin Bishop Center.
1: It was... uh, a Weston A. Busfield. He was a, a professor of psychology from 1939 until he retired in 1972, and he was so popular that when they they broke ground on a new building in 72, the, his fellow faculty member said we should name it after him, and the trustees said no. So they held out until 1989, three years after he died.
0: Tom, what kind of feedback do you get from readers about these really interesting yet obscure trivia notes?
1: People seem to like them, and sometimes they really seem to spark memories. You know, I'll get th- these really great emails from people who say, I-, I can't believe someone remembered that, or I can't believe someone brought that up. I remember that from when I was a student, and I thought that no one knew about that. Or uh, and-, and then sometimes people will suggest things to me. They'll say, oh, you should tell... This is a really obscure fact. You should really go with this. And sometimes I take them. Sometimes people really have some good suggestions.
0: Well, before 7.30 this morning, I came up with some real Yukon trivia, and that was Fred Waring, he of the Pennsylvanians, born on today's date in 1900. And he was the guy who really performed the first Yukon fight song on national television at the time. So we gave a whole bunch of Yukon trivia in that segment as well. But in your edition of the Yukon magazine for spring 2018, I don't throw these out, I keep these around. One of the questions was: Yukon sports teams were known as the Aggies before the Husky mascot was adopted in 1934. And I talked about that a little while ago this morning. There was a period of about a year, though, when the teams were called by another name. What was it? The Store's Stalwarts, the Brothers Jonathan's the Connecticut Statesmen, and the Blue and Whites. I'm going to go with D, the Blue and Whites.
1: Yes, D, the Blue and Whites. Uh, and th- then shortly after that, believe it or not, there was another name, and it was uh, it was not Blue and White. They were actually called the Orange Men informally because University of New Hampshire and Yale rivals also had Blue and White, so there was a, a really brief time where they considered changing the school colors to Blue and Orange to distinguish themselves from New Hampshire and Yale. Can you imagine if if they had remained the Orangemen?
0: Just think what had happened when UConn and Syracuse played each other. What would would the radio guys do when they're calling play-by-play? The Orangemen (laughs) lead the
1: Orangemen 10-9. That's right. So
0: this uh, concept of uh, trivia, which is included in the UConn magazine, for the people who don't see this every month, how can they get a copy or see a copy of the magazine in general and Tom's trivia in particular?
1: You can uh, you can go online to magazine.ucon.edu and it'll have the latest issue, including uh, the trivia, with all the answers.
0: Give me your journalism background. When did this all begin for you? When did you get the bug?
1: Uh, I, my, my father was a journalism professor at UConn, so I, 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 he grew up giving me news quizzes around the kitchen table, my brother and I, and I kind of always knew I'd want to do that, so worked at my high school paper, worked at the Daily Campus, worked for papers in Massachusetts and Connecticut, and then I worked for the AP for a while. Um, down south, and wanted to come home. Job opened up at UConn. I was lucky to get it.
0: And you've done a great job as that as well. And you're not just sitting around writing trivia all day long. You and Stephanie Reitz have been involved in some of the communication situations involving big events that happened at the University of Connecticut. Stephanie was involved actually yesterday in releasing the news about those students that got expelled or will be expelled after the rioting that took place on the UConn campus after the national championship game. Tell me what it's like in your office when a big event is happening, a newsmaking event is happening around UConn. People call you. People call Stephanie. What are they asking? And then how do you help them out?
1: It, it's a little bit like being in a newsroom. Uh, you know, there is a lot of excitement. There is sort of there is deadline pressure. It's not our deadline pressure though, but we have to help journalists meet their deadlines. So uh, the national championship, the the last one where both the men and women won twenty fourteen. That's a good example. The after the men won. The phones didn't stop ringing until, I don't know, noon the next day because the question was, the women are playing the next night. What are you doing? What's happening? What's going on campus? So Stephanie and I uh, and some of our colleagues were you know trying to find people to talk to the press. Sometimes we would talk to the press if, if it was a simple question we could answer. There's a, there's a lot of motion, a lot of chaos, a lot of running around, a little bit like a newsroom.
0: What about when just a routine news event is taking place? I don't know if I'd call this week's smoke routine, but nonetheless... Were you getting calls this week? Journalists want to say, hey, who at UConn can I talk to about air pollution and smoke from Canada?
1: Yep, absolutely. We got a lot of calls about that this week, and uh, we have a number of faculty members who are experts on it. So, what we do is then we try to get in touch with the faculty members and say, you know, are you free to talk to the press about this, Uh, you know, are you comfortable, because sometimes People who have never talked to the press before get a little nervous, and they'll say, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing, and you, know, you, you put them at ease.
0: These are people who talk to big groups of students every day on campus, but they don't want to talk to the press.
1: No, it's, it. yeah, it's, it's funny. You know, You put someone in front of a microphone, and suddenly they freeze up. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, I've seen
0: it right where you're sitting, as a matter of fact. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen people who do great interviews and suddenly you put them on the radio and they give five-second answers.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, And that's one of the things we do, too. Like We want to make sure that we're going to connect someone with a reporter who's comfortable and also who's going to give the reporter something they can use. Um, So yeah, it's a lot of us just making connections and making sure people are available.
0: Give me some examples of some of the most unusual or bizarre requests the media has made as far as contacting UConn faculty. And conversely, maybe some of your favorite stories, some of the things that you've really enjoyed connecting the public through journalism, through UConn, and their professors.
1: Yeah, one of the weirdest was uh, years ago, there was a a viral video of a a now former student who was, um, he was demanding bacon, jalapeno, mac and cheese late at night. He he was disorderly and got arrested. We actually got a, a freedom of information request from the New York Post for the recipe for the mac and cheese, because they want, they were convinced this must be some special mac and cheese recipe, and you know they didn't have to file the. We would just give them the recipe. I mean, it was just a mac and cheese recipe with some chopped up jalapenos in it. Um, but yeah, that, that was the first time in my life I ever got a FOIA request for a recipe. So, um,
0: so people saw the New York Post story, and then they wanted to turn it into a local story, like Connecticut television, oh, newspaper, oh, that, radio?
1: That story it just went on and on and on. We got calls from London. I mean, that went all over the place. Something goes on the Internet, and suddenly you can't control it, and, and you just have to kind of ride the wave.
0: What about an awkward-type situation? Something that really people don't want to talk about, but still media requesting interviews? Try to connect it with
1: somebody, even though it's not a very popular topic to discuss. Sure. Um, you know, one of the things we, we tell people is we're a public university and and we're here to serve the public. So, you know, if, if there's an issue we have to talk about, we have to talk about it. You know, we, we can't just pull down the shutters and wait for things to go away. Um, I can think about there were some times when uh, uh, there was a fraternity who was uh, kicked off campus for for hazing and press showed up and they were in the Greek village area and they were you know, filming, and we got calls from people saying, like, tell the press to get out of here. And we said, absolutely not. <laughs> They're perfectly free to be there. And we had to explain, you know, that that's what being a public university is. All right, the folks want to hear more UConn trivia here. I believe that first question that you asked about the
0: building name for a living person is going to be in the episode, or the audition that comes out this week, isn't it? Is, it? is that this month's version?
1: This month is going to be all. Uh, basketball trivia because of the national championship so this this sort of issue is kind of dedicated to the the men's national championship and also the other championships that we've won in the past so are these questions for down the road these are for down the road these are little sneak peeks little sneak previews of some
0: questions that may come up all right now, I, I may be sorry i asked this question but since you're talking i don't know if you have it in front of you there or not but since you're talking basketball i know a lot of trivia about
1: uconn basketball too oh i know can you stump me i, I almost certainly not <laughs> almost certainly not um you know uh there's one it's basketball related i would say is uh i can ask a question about the the mascot uh when was the first human mascot uh you're talking inside the costume inside the costume when did the costume debut was it 1960s 1970s 1950s or 1940s
0: well considering the fact that i didn't see yukon games until the late 60s i'm a little bit disadvantaged as far as the uh, 50s and stuff but i'm going to say
1: the 70s it was actually the 60s really uh because and it was only briefly in the 60s it really only came into fruition to the 70s because so really was so i'm sort of right you are sort of right (laughs) they they, it was a stopgap because (laughs) the dog at the time was hit by a car and it was the middle of the season so they put together a costume and the, the mascot's name in the costume was actually Homer the Husky at the time for Homer Babbage because he was president. And so he only lasted about half a season when they got a new dog from the University of Alaska. And then they didn't go back to the costume until the 70s. So, yes, yes, you, you're you're except for that one brief strange moment. And you should see the original costume. We have pictures of it. It, it was, it not, was like, a, not like today's. No, no, it was a rush job. You could, t- you could tell they had to hurry up. And- well, I got two mascot stories.
0: One, it was probably back in the early 80s. Bill Raftery was the head coach of Seton Hall at the time, and Seton Hall brought its mascot up, and uh, no, it was St. Peter's, and it was the peacock, and they were playing at the Fieldhouse at stores, and whoever was inside the Yukon mascot and the peacock of St. Peter's, during a timeout, they got into a fight, and <laughs> 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 they, they had to like separate them and take them off the court. And the other funny mascot story was. There was a guy named Eric McDowell who I knew from the University of New Haven because we used to do ECSU baseball, ECSC back then, baseball against New Haven. Great rivalry, Porky Vieira, the head coach in New Haven, and so forth. Well, Eric went on to the University of New Hampshire where he became the sports information director. So we're, coming, we're playing New Hampshire. It's gamble, so it had to be the early 90s. And I guess that the guy that's normally in the mascot costume can't come to the game. They need someone to be in the wildcat costume who do they pick the sports information director who does have some other responsibilities there so we knew that plus we know the guy because he told us before the thing during the timeouts he's doing all the usual cheerleader acrobatic kind of stuff at one point he takes a, a flying leap he's doing the head first dive like sue bird did after the uh, 2020 uh, uh, 2000 national championship and he's sliding across the center court logo and stuff like that and we're going, that's not your usual guy inside a mascot. He's doing this on a part-time basis, but the fans in the audience didn't know. They just thought it was a regular guy. It was not a regular guy doing it. So those are my mascot that's, stories. That's amazing. Other morning. duties
1: as assigned, as they say.
0: What can you tell us about the, the current Jonathan? I know he has some health issues
1: there. Is he uh, back to full strength now? He's back to full strength. Uh, he's doing well, and... Um, you know, it, it, it's uh, they're always thinking about the next mascot. You know, after Huskies, after a certain point, they're, they're getting a little older. That they, they are big dogs. So uh, I know that's on people's minds. But, yeah, no, he's great. He's doing his appearances and walking around campus. Did you get phone calls from people when the team flew to Houston? And
0: for whatever reason, they left Jonathan behind. Well, it became a thing. The thing kind of went viral, and all of a sudden, they got Jonathan down to Houston for the championship game.
1: Yeah, yeah, we got so many calls. It <laughs> <laughs> wasn't quite the mac and cheese story, but yeah, we, we heard from a lot of people. And a lot of people had suggestions, and they had strategies, and eventually it worked out. But yeah, no, no, we heard all about that. Who's in charge, not just of Jonathan, but
0: of the publicity pictures for jonathan because on yukon's twitter page about every week there's jonathan in some unusual situation he, he was i can't remember what it was like a week or so ago he was not even in connecticut he was doing something but who who runs that operation and i think it's great publicity but who decides where to put jonathan
1: they do a great job yes yeah, alpha phi omega is the student fraternity that takes care of jonathan it, it we call it a fraternity but it's co-ed um and uh, they're the ones who, who do his social media. They're the ones who, they coordinate with the university about where he has to go. Because sometimes he makes these public appearances at things. Sometimes he goes to the state capitol. Um, but yeah, they're the ones who run the social media. They do a fantastic job. And uh, they really take care of him. Tom has just gotten back
0: from Ireland. Tom, did you see any unicorns when you were over there? On the... I, I,
1: I didn't. I didn't. The most exotic thing I saw was a deer. But, uh, you know, that's I guess close. Same family as the unicorn, you know. Hooved mammals. Yeah, the deer minus
0: a little horn there in the front. Yeah. So what was the reason you went? Just simple tourism? Did you have a reason to go over there to visit family or things like that?
1: Yep, I visited family. I've I've been uh, back and forth there uh, several times over the years, and this is the first time I've been since the pandemic, so I wanted to uh, catch up with family, do some tourist things, and... You know, uh, I would never been to the Cliffs of Moher, uh, so I went out this time uh, and did it. and It was great.
0: Yes, and who told you that's a really good idea?
1: It was actually Wayne Norman, <laughs> WILI's own, Wayne Norman.
0: I think of all of the things that I saw, including the Blarney Stone in Ireland, the Cliffs of Moher really got my attention, although the weather wasn't as good on my trip as it was on your trip. And when I got to the Cliffs of Moher, I saw the view. I saw the stunning cliffs. I walked right up to the edge and looked down. I'm not bothered by heights. And then 20 minutes later, it was soup fog, couldn't see a thing. So you got good visibility on your day at the Cliffs more?
1: Yeah, they were telling us it was, you know, one of the rare days where, you, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I brought my umbrella and everything, and I didn't use it once. There was no rain, it was just sunshine, It was you could see as far out to sea as you could look, and beautiful day, perfect weather for it, honestly.
0: They're on the west coast of Ireland, a little bit south of Galway, and they're really, I don't know how high they are, but they're a, it's a stunning sight to see. Uh, speaking of the Blarney Stone, did you get a chance to kiss the Blarney Stone, Tom?
1: I, I have not kissed the Blarney Stone. The, the, the day where it would have been possible, there was a big tour group, like a huge tour group, that got off a, a cruise ship, took the bus to Blarney Castle, so we were told you might want to pick another day. So where else did you go besides Cliffs of Moher? Oh, you did the uh, the Ring of Kerry. Yep, yeah, I've got families in Kerry, so I went to visit them, and we drove around, and they showed me some sights, and uh, we went to Killarney. Uh, on the day of a, uh, Gaelic, uh, football game. It's so a castle, right? Yeah. yeah right. Castle, yep. The town was packed with football fans and it was kind of a neat atmosphere. It was like a, kind of a, you know, game day, like a college football game day.
0: Tom, what, what shape are footballs over there?
1: They're for Gaelic football. <laughs> There's, they're kind of like a cross between a rugby ball and an American football. So it's a weird, it's a weird hybrid. And did you get across the island over to like Dublin? Yep. Yep. Spent some time in Dublin, uh, did some walking tours in Dublin, uh, went down to Trinity College, you know. See. Book of Kells. Book of Kells, absolutely, yep. yep. Book online, because it is. there's a, it was a long wait to get into the Book of Kells. Did you do Northern Ireland? Not on this trip. I've been uh, three or four times, actually, in the past, and I, I, I recommend it, honestly. I mean, people, it has a reputation, obviously, but uh, people are incredibly friendly, uh, and it's beautiful and not very touristy. Now,
0: here's the question to bring everything together, because that's what I do here. Did you discover any Yukon trivia when you were in Ireland? I, 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 I did not. <laughs> I know you were looking for it.
1: I was. If I, but I will tell you, a lot of people, I was wearing, you know, Yukon hat, Yukon shirt, and a lot of people would say, hey, UConn. I In fact, there's a tower at the Cliffs of Moor where you can kind of go up and there's this really narrow staircase to get up, and I'm going up, and a guy, and we're brushing past each other, and he sees my shirt, and he says, hey, national champs. So, <laughs> so yeah, the, the Yukon name is, is spread far and wide. Yeah, I wear a lot of Yukon stuff. I've got it
0: on today. You've got it on today, and it's amazing that I can be far out of Connecticut. I had It happened on Martha's Vineyard once. It's happened in Southern California, places like that, and people see it, and they talk about it. They want to know, and then you tell them you do the radio, and they go, oh, my gosh, you know all these – I know all these players and so forth. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. And even in Ireland, you got spotted there. Are you a uh, like a, a world traveler, or, or do you do the Ireland thing just for the family connection?
1: I, I, I got bit by the travel bug a few years ago. So um, Ireland, certainly, but I actually earlier this year I went to Israel uh, in January which I'd never been to before. Traveling. Man, by the way, that's not a bad time to go. It's no.
0: Pretty hot in the summertime.
1: I, I would say it's probably the best time of year to go. Yeah, it's also, you know, because the major holidays are over, so it's not quite as crowded. Give me a couple of highlights from Israel. What'd you do? What'd you see? Uh, Jerusalem. It was an amazing highlight. You know, just the, all the incredible history, layers and layers. If you're a history buff, and I know you are, I mean, everywhere you look, there's something that's six, 700, a 1,000 years old, and, and it's just like... People just walking to work and not even paying attention. All the stuff that's amazing to me and to them, it's just everyday life. I'm assuming you did the Wailing Wall. What was that experience like? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, it it was, uh, this is going to sound really stupid, but it is is huge. It is a big wall. You know, you kind of see pictures of it and you think, okay, sure. But then you get there and it is enormous. And all these people, there praying and it's a beautiful sight.
0: All right, back to the trivia. You brought in a couple of trivia questions. Again, Tom Breen writes the Tom's Trivia section, which often shows up on the back page of the monthly Yukon Magazine release, which goes out to alums
1: and more, and it's also available online. What are you, what's, uh, give me some more trivia here. This, this goes back to the very earliest days of the university. So when the first students arrived at the institution that would become Yukon back in 1881, they had to meet several entrance requirements. Which of these was not one of those requirements? One, both parents had to be Connecticut natives. Two, a certificate of good moral character signed by a member of the clergy. Gee, I never would have gotten in. <laughs> Three, successful completion of an entrance exam. Uh, and four, minimum age of 17. I want to give you minimum age 17. You are correct. That was not one of the requirements. You could get in. There were people who started that year who as young as 15 hmm. back then. And some of them, after getting their certificates uh, from that institution, went on to high school. So it was a a very different institution in those days. You know, you gave credit to Mark Roy earlier. I think he wrote this story as well. But
0: there's a whole series of stories on the Yukon Advance page about the impact of the Hurricane of 38 on Yukon. And by the way, that was September 21st. And they were coming to campus for the first day of school. September 21st. I mean, really, look at how late it started back then. But one of the images that I still have from those stories was that students were having to Ford, cross the Willimantic River, over there on the Coventry-Eagleville border there, to, to get to campus. I mean, because the river was bright and high, the roads were washed out and things like that. But, and then the, also there was a whole other story. I remember, the, I think the guy's name was Tom Mancer, who uh, did a study on the thousands of trees that were lost on campus. There's a lot of good stuff on that. I don't know, I can just see Tom's trivia it up a question maybe in september in the anniversary of the hurricane of 38 what do
1: yeah, you think that's a good idea you know there's a good radio story about that too the uh, the student radio station continued because they had shortwave radio so they kept broadcasting even through the uh, the hurricane so they were able to, to to keep doing that but no you're right there there are some good trivia moments from that and there was a lot of devastation a lot of uh, you know the the original grove of trees where they used to have commencement that was all gone so a lot of things that were sort of important to yukon up to that point were lost in that hurricane
0: Uh, We talked earlier this morning about Jonathan Husky, who, by the way, Jonathan the 14th, has his own Twitter page. And I see these shots a lot. I mentioned that I see occasional shots lately where Jonathan has been out of state, including one from June the 7th, just less than a week ago. And there's a picture of him that says it's at Penn State. And it says, when sneaking into the enemy's territory, one must always watch their back. So I guess it's a stone statue of the Penn State mascot, the Nittany Lion. And the first picture shows Jonathan sitting on the curb posing like a selfie for the camera with the Nittany Lion behind him. And the second one, Jonathan's looking over his shoulder, looking back, just watching his back for the Nittany Lion. So you got that one. And then when the men went down to the White House for the national championship ceremony meeting with the president, uh, there's no pictures of Jonathan with Joe Biden, but it, it sure looks to me, Like there's a picture of Jonathan sitting on the chair at the Resolute desk with someone behind him. And I have no idea where the office this is. It may not be the White House, but I'm going to pretend that it is. With a guy wearing shades, looking like a Secret Service guy, protecting Jonathan the Husky. So Jonathan gets around. Is that just the the, the fraternity that takes him out, or yep. what's he what's he doing at Penn State? What's he doing in, in Washington D.C.?
1: <laughs> you know, I'm not actually sure what he's doing in Penn State. It might be some kind of mascot <laughs> summit. I don't know, but he he does get around. He's a great ambassador for UConn, and so uh, the yeah the students who take care of him bring him around and make sure he's uh, he's treated like royalty
0: and here's one on Twitter on June the second he's uh, sitting in a lawn chair by a pool with nice colorful flowers behind him and he's sitting there with shades on look like he just enjoying the day and it says starting the weekend early who's with me so they do a lot of fun stuff with Jonathan the Husky and I'm glad they do it's a very popular mascot and uh, we love Jonathan the Husky however there is a famous story of the student government trying to sell the dog during the vietnam war as a protest gesture can
1: you verify that I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because i have not been able to find any confirmation of that i think it's i think it's an urban legend it's a funny story um, but I, I don't
0: sell my husky that's not a funny story <laughs> <laughs>
1: I. Uh, it was, I've heard it took place in 1970. I've read every issue of The Daily Campus from 1970. There's nothing in there about that. So I think it maybe it's just a tall tale that has grown in the telling. Um, because I can't find any evidence that people ever turned down Jonathan. The students have always loved Jonathan.
0: I'll tell you what. I was on campus. I was a <clears throat> student, using that term in quotes, in 1970. And that spring semester, right after Kent State, actually, that was what really triggered it. That was just crazy. I don't think there's been anything like that since that time at the University of Connecticut. Tom, you work so much with newspapers, radio. You work with me. <laughs> Apologies for that. What do you see right now? You and you've worked at newspapers as well. What do you see right now as the status of and the future of newspapers?
1: It's um, you know it's an industry that's uh, facing a lot of challenges right now and a lot of consolidation. You know when i started at yukon 11 years ago we had six reporters uh, covering us full-time uh i think we have one now it's just, current it's not the current no it's the chronicle really yeah everyone's pulled back a lot uh and their coverage and it's harder and harder to get in the newspaper now so in yukon and other institutions have had to be their own newsrooms in a lot of ways um and i don't see that changing it's a shame i'd like to see more investment in local news because that's essentially you can't get that anywhere else right you can't find out what's happening in your local community from cnn or the new york times or whatever they do a great job on national news international news but it's the local stuff i'm really concerned about
0: are more people covering something like Yukon now by telephone and not going out in person going to meetings
1: yeah absolutely and and you know some of it is uh you know the trustees meetings because of the pandemic, everything's on zoom, so you can you know you can zoom in on that but a lot of things, yeah, it's just phone checks or they wait for press release, frankly. And from my perspective as a PR person, great. That's wonderful. What was
0: it like during the pandemic? Obviously, you're getting the same kind of phone calls you get all the time as far as news stories that affect UConn. But now you're getting people probably asking for sources, news sources to talk about the medical situation, to talk about
1: the shutdown situation, talk about the masking situation. You must have got a lot of calls about that. Oh, yeah, especially with UConn Health. Um, you know, because they were on the front line of it. Uh, and in some ways, it, it made things easier because especially with CV, you know, they always have to have images. They always have to have somebody on camera. And with video conferencing, people began to expect that. That made things a little easier. But, uh... yeah, it was a challenge for us, just like anybody now, it's funny that I
0: mentioned the story earlier about Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians performing a Yukon fight song. Fred Waring born on this date and part of the story that I read actually talked about the designation Yukon and they spelled it U hyphen C O N N and one version had capital U capital C another had capital U dash small C O N N well on your Twitter page it says now Yukon news director then reporter tweets are my own retweets are not and then you say it's Yukon not Yukon Please, I beg of you. For radio, I will explain what that means. You said, quote, it's capital U, capital C, O-N-N, and not all caps, U-C-O-N-N. I thought the school had gone to that as a branding technique to make it all caps, it sounds like you're like a voice in the wilderness here, saying you don't agree with that. What's the story about that?
1: So the the, the change to all caps is just in like logos or, or the word mark, as they say. So if you see it like on a shirt, like like you're wearing now, it's going to be all caps. I have all
0: caps. But in print, hold on. What, oh, you just, you just have the husky logo there. Yeah, I just got there. the logo. Yeah.
1: Um, if you see it in print, it's supposed to be capital U, capital C, and then everything else lowercase. So it's a battle we've been fighting. It's a losing battle, but uh, we're still trying. Um, and uh, we briefly got the Washington Post to stop doing U dash lowercase C O N N and then they went back to it after a while. So I don't know what I don't know what's going on there. I you know back
0: in the days, I want to say the sixties and the seventies, the nickname of the school also got morphed into the Yukons. Oh, interesting. You don't hear that anymore. No, but you don't. I've seen newspaper stories that refer to the Yukons beat Rhode Island or something like that, you know. The old Yankee conference days. All right, more trivia. What do you got? Can you stump me? I've done all right so far. And by the way, the, the ones from I brought a couple of old magazines, and one of the questions I asked earlier came from the magazine, but I didn't cheat. I mean, I saw this four years ago, so I don't remember what the answer was. But the stuff you brought in today, I haven't seen these before, so I'm hearing at the same time listeners are, so go
1: ahead, stump me. This is brand new. Um, all right. At the start of the 1951 academic year, President Albert Jorgensen announced a plan to achieve something that still, all these years later, has not been attained. What was his goal? A. Enough on-campus parking to accommodate every student, faculty, and staff member who has a car. B. Free tuition for all students. (coughs) C. Closing campus to automobile traffic. Or D. A national championship in football. Which of those has not happened that he wanted to happen? It could almost be e all the above because
0: <laughs> yeah. all those seem like they would work. Yeah, you know, like like there's not enough parking, probably never will be at, U, at UConn. In fact, they've taken some of that central campus parking away. Although there's two parking garages now. Um,
1: all right, I'm I'm going to stick with sports. Football national championship. The answer is, uh, is C. Jorgensen promised that by the end of the decade, all parking would be off campus. The university would be pedestrian only. He said, quote, all of us, students and faculty,
0: will have to walk. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And by the way, my answer didn't make sense, because really, at that stage he would not have talked about football winning a national championship. No, I don't think they talk about any UConn sport winning a national championship, and now we got them all over the place.
1: Yeah, in 51, that was two years before Memorial Stadium, so really yeah, the football program was still very much in its infancy.
0: I need more trivia, Tom. What do you got for me?
1: I have this is one of my favorite uh, strange stories from UConn history. Uh, all the way back, April 1906, Professor E.D. Proudman became the first, and hopefully the last, UConn faculty member to wound someone in an on-campus gunfight. What What were the circumstances? Aaron duel and Aaron Burr and uh, who was it? Uh, uh, Hamilton. Hamilton, yeah, Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, well, A, uh, another professor had insulted Proudman, uh, prompting him to challenge the other man to a duel. B, during a marksmanship class, Proudman mistook a hunter in the woods behind Horse Barn Hill as an assailant and fired at the man. <laughs> C, Proudman was trying to stop the robbery of the college payroll. Or D, Proudman caught a group of horse thieves who were raiding the school stables. I'm
0: going to go with C uh, and the guy, in the, I think it was B, the guy in the backyard there.
1: It was, it was actually, he was trying to stop the theft of the payroll. Oh, so he was. In addition to being a faculty member, he was also the equivalent of the chief financial officer. Everybody back then had to do, you know, four or five different jobs on campus, and he had gotten tipped off that there was a group of armed robbers who had hit a number of banks in eastern Connecticut, and they were coming to UConn because in those days everything was cash. And Tom, so,
0: Tom, when you write these trivia questions, you come up with some little nugget. Is it more fun to write the question or more fun to write the four? options for the answers? Because you come up with stuff that is really believable in all four categories, which is what makes the trivia so tough.
1: That, that's a really good question. Um, you know, and it, it goes back to that holiday trivia thing with my boss. He really hates when people get the answers right. Like his his dream is that nobody gets anything right. So the first wow. year, the first he's, year he's I did it- is a tough customer, isn't he, is, he? He is a tough customer, yeah. yeah. The first year I did it, I had, you know, jokey answers and things like that. And he said, no, no. All these answers have to be plausible. I want them, I want these to be hard questions. So ever since then, I've tried to make them as hard as possible. I'll admit,
0: I've told you this in the past, that usually when I see it, and I see it every month, and to be honest, it's a great magazine. One reason I, I like to see the magazine, I, think I get good ideas for morning show guests. You know, there's there's nice features on stuff going on at UConn. I go, oh, i got to contact that person and so forth. But when I get this magazine, right away, Tom's trivia. That is the first thing I look at. And generally, like you just said, uh, I go down in flames. I think on average, I get one of the four right. And I'll admit once in a while, it's a guess. But do you hear from people? Do you, Are there people out there that get like all four right? Is that possible? <laughs> Or is, or is your goal not to let anybody get all four right?
1: My goal is to make it as, <laughs> as challenging as possible. I, I, but some people will, will uh, write in and say they're very happy that they got three of the four right or something like that. So
0: I've never gotten three right. I, well, there...
1: I, I think this issue, the next issue with all the basketball trivia, I think you might run the table. I think that that's your wheelhouse. I think you might. If uh, I don't,
0: I should just hang it up. <laughs> as simple as that. Jeez, I could have written some of those for you, too. I got a text from one of our regular listeners, and she says, your guest has a voice made for radio. Oh, thank you. Can he talk about the Raise the Roof series of Rhododendron, developed at UConn by Dr. Brand? Five basketball-themed names of Rhododendrons,
1: what do you got? Yeah, this actually uh, this goes back to uh, the work of a professor named Gus Melquist. Uh, who started this in 1958, making uh, hardy rhododendron cultivars? And Mark Brand uh, started working in Melquist's lab when Mark was a student at Eo Smith, so even before he got to UConn. And uh, Mark has actually he's developed a lot of different plant hybrids. Um, but the raise the roof he named in honor of UConn's basketball prowess. So there's a there's a slam dunk, a Husky Mania, a March Madness, a Hoopla. Uh, there's a tip off. And you can buy these all over the country in garden centers all over the country. That's just one of the many inventions, actually, that UConn faculty members have come up with over the years. Well, maybe in honor of the
0: 2023 national champions, you can buy some rhododendrons right now and plant them in your yard and have them growing forever about that. Uh, Along those same lines about sports, here you are, the one that the media contacts for UConn things, but UConn has its own athletic publicity department. Athletic Communications, it's called, back in my day, we called it Sports Information Directors. And, you know, I've worked with them often over the years. How do those jobs delineate themselves? Do you get calls for people with sports, and then at that point you direct them to the Athletic Communications Department?
1: Yes. Yeah, people will call us and say, can I talk to Dan Hurley? And I'll say... (laughs) How's that work out? (laughs) I'll say, good luck. Uh, And then I'll route them over to Athletic Communications. So they handle... All the day-to-day sports stuff you know we get involved in athletic stuff generally only when it crosses over to the general university like a national championship and we have to answer questions about the white house visit things like that
0: our uh, rhododendron texter also says maybe a general question about how professor slash research generates income and helps the public people don't think about this i think on a daily basis but Research is so important to colleges and universities in general and
1: to UConn in particular. Do tell. Sure. I think to date it's around 700 patents that UConn faculty members uh, have been awarded. And, you know, some of these are for life saving medication. Some of these are for, there was one that two of our dental school faculty members invented a type of dental implant that's used all over now. Um, and that brings in a lot of money. And also helps people directly with, with things like that. So uh, research universities—that's a big, big part of what we do. Um, it brings in money directly from federal grants, for example, but it also brings in money from licensing and things like that. And that's a lot of times what the media is calling you about
0: to say. How can I talk to this person? Did this new research on dot 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 dot? Yep. You also are the co-founder of the award-winning Yukon Three Hundred and Sixty podcast. For the folks who don't know, because podcasts are so big now, we get a ton of hits on our website for my former morning show interviews and other programs we have here. What exactly is the award-winning UConn three hundred and sixty podcast?
1: It's uh, you know, it's it's. We started out as kind of like a, a news radio program. We'd interview faculty members, interview students, and kind of put together reported stories. That was before the pandemic. Since then, it's become much more of kind of a one-on-one interview series with faculty members, students, alumni, people who have interesting UConn stories, and uh, Ken Best, who I know you know. Ken was one of the uh, the founders um, of the the podcast and Ken of course has a lot of radio expertise so uh, he was he was very keen make sure we got the sound right because that's essential in the world of uh, audio um, so yeah it, it's it's monthly conversations with interesting Yukon people basically
0: Ken another guy who gives me suggestions for good Yukon morning show guests, and I think maybe a few non Yukon people too but it is primarily Yukon all right so the two guys that are sitting here right now have a combined total of three books I've got one on Yukon basketball you are the author of two books about Christianity and contemporary culture, and you published short fiction in many periodicals and anthologies. Tell me about your books.
1: Back when I was a reporter for the AP, I covered religion. I was on the National Religion B team, and I got a chance to write a couple of books about Christianity, one that Baylor University Press uh, published, um, which was called The Messiah, formerly known as Jesus, which was sort of about modern American uh, Christian culture. And the other was about uh, the modern American Catholic culture called uh, uh more Catholic than the Pope, so it was a extension of my reporting. It was a lot of fun. You're active in volunteer organizations. Give me a couple. Uh, Society of St. Vincent de Paul, the uh, Ancient Order of Hibernians, the Hartford Unit Two. Um, one of my, the, in fact, the president of our AOH chapter is Mike Enright, another guy I know you know. Um, and we do a lot of good stuff around the community, a lot of uh, food drive stuff. But uh, it's an Irish American cultural uh, group i will be sending
0: this interview to mike enright shortly after nine o'clock this morning and he will then put it on the yukon website all of my yukon interviews get put on the yukon website as well and another trivia note here today if i go to the yukon dairy bar tom what flavor would you recommend
1: wow i mean that's maybe that's the hardest question i've ever been asked, Wayne. <laughs>
0: Well, wait a minute. It's right here on your website. I already know the answer. See, the good interviewer knows the answer, you've but done, doesn't give the answer.
1: You've done your research. I would say uh, it's a coconut, I think. It's, uh, coconut. Yeah, you
0: win. Yeah, okay. All right. That's what I'm trying to think it of. Says, uh, it says right here, he, he lives in Manchester, is active in volunteer organizations, and recommends that you try the coconut flavor at the dairy bar. All right, so are you a coconut guy?
1: I am a coconut guy. Yeah, it's very good at the Dairy Bar. I mean, every, you can't go wrong, honestly, at the Dairy Bar.
0: So, but see, if I went to the Dairy Bar daily in a perfect world, I'd do something different every day. I would not do a coconut every day. So there must be a B and a C answer for the A answer, coconut flavor.
1: Yeah, I always like to get the whatever the seasonal uh, flavors are. The, yeah. the senior class picks one, and then sometimes they do one for an anniversary, like they did one for Avery Point's 50th anniversary. That was very good.
0: All so, right, let's wrap things up with Tom's trivia once again. Uh, you got one more clunker for not clunker but one more good question for us this morning
1: i i do this is this is one that i think uh, a lot of people because this is a part of campus that has different names depending on when you went to yukon um the area where the dorms are either north and northwest or the jungle and frats depending on your age jungle Be- same here <laughs> before uh that was built what was that area of campus called was it called stores hill was it called Cemetery Hill? Was it called North Stores? Or was it called Babbage Hill? I'm going to Cemetery Hill because Cemetery is right next door. You are correct. Even though the cemetery is just one part of that, that entire section of campus was Cemetery Hill. And, in fact, you can see references to it in the old daily campuses where they talk about the bonfires on Cemetery Hill.
0: Well, Mr. Tom's Trivia, how did I do this morning?
1: You did great. <laughs> you did great. <laughs> if
0: you want to see more of Tom's Trivia, check out the Yukon Magazine either in print or online. He's got a great feature that runs every month. Tom had a lot of emails back and forth. It was great to meet you and get a chance to talk about some of this obscure but interesting Yukon trivia. Thanks for coming in this morning. It's been a thrill. Thank you, Wayne. Tom Breen, Director of News and Editorial Communications on 14 WILI, Willamette and 95.3 FM.